the Dynasty Blueprint with Matt Williamson and Ryan McDowell. Welcome into another edition of the Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host, Ryan McDowell, joined as always by Matt Williamson. Matt, you're still over at uh, Pittsburgh Steelers training camp. How's it going over there? It's going well. Yeah, I got up here right before practice, a 5 o'clock practice, a joint practice between the Lions and the Steelers. It's the first time I've seen a joint practice since I was with the Browns. Um, it's a lot more fun, obviously, and I concentrated on the Lions actually more than I did the Steelers because I've seen the Steelers quite a bit of late. Then I did a radio show, and I spent the night up here in Latrobe, uh, basically been in my uh, hotel room the majority of the day working today, doing a radio show from 7 to 9 tonight, and then driving home. And then tomorrow I'll go to Steelers-Lions preseason game, and then I'm going to do the post-game show after that. So uh, a lot happening here in Latrobe, and uh, we have a lot to talk about tonight on the radio show here from 7 to 9 with some breaking news. Yeah, it's not great news either. Before we discuss that, though, let's welcome in our guest. We've got J.J. Zacharyson joining us today. He is the originator of the Late Round Quarterback, also the author of the ebook Late Round Quarterback. He's also the editor-in-chief over at Number Fire and the co-host of the Living the Stream podcast. JJ, welcome aboard. Hey, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, we're, we're glad you're here. We uh, Last week, got to talk to Sean Siegel, and, and in this series, really focusing on some popular uh, redraft strategies and how they, uh, how they translate to Dynasty. So, of course, we'll be talking a lot of quarterback uh, today, but we're going to start off with a tight end. Not only is this breaking news around this time that we're recording, but having both of you guys alongside me today, both being Pittsburgh natives and, and big Pittsburgh Steeler fans, this Ladarius Green news. Rumors of some, some serious headaches that are actually keep, keeping him out of action, not this ankle surgery that he had back in January. He's reportedly considering retirement, and the, the Steelers at the same time are considering just parting ways with him, go, cutting him before he even steps on the field for them. So I uh, just want to hear from both of you uh, about the Green situation specifically as well as what Pittsburgh does from here. They've already lost uh, Martavis Bryant for the year. They've lost Le'Veon Bell, of course, for the first month. And, and now Green could be, could be gone as well. So, J.J., we'll start with you. Just uh, your thoughts on this entire situation. Yeah, I mean, I think in general there was a lot of optimism within the fantasy community with regards to Ladarius and, and how he was going to fit in that offense. I think more so in terms of him just simply taking on the Heath Miller role and just taking that volume. When if you read between the lines with what a lot of beats were saying uh, within the you know that were covering the team and such, uh, I mean, the team likes Jesse James. They like the tight ends that they have uh, to go along with Ladarius, of course. Uh, so to me. Uh, his upside in fantasy was certainly touchdown and red zone related, just given the other weapons that they have in the offense. And, you know, the, the lack of, of red zone weapons, if you will, uh, you know, with, with Antonio Brown being the only, like, the only true uh, guy that, that, that a guy like Ben could trust, uh, given experience. So, to me, I mean, I, I think that, you know, if, let's, you know, pretend worst case scenario that Ladarius Green isn't part of this team this season, or, or any team, again, if, if the retirement talks are true, um, you know, I, I think that from from a fantasy standpoint, the targets will be dispersed. Uh, you can't really do much more with what Antonio Browns are already getting, but whoever uh, ends up being more of that that slot role for them could see a little uptick. And then a guy like Jesse James could end up being a, a red zone threat because of his big body. I mean, he's a physical profile. I mean, he's a very very athletic guy. Uh, it'll be interesting to kind of see where he fits in. But I think overall, you know, I, I think that 
in general, what he did from, a, from what Ladarius was going to do from a week-to-week standpoint might have been a little overstated. But yeah, it's it's certainly going to to hurt uh, the offense just overall. Yeah, you know, I mean, I agree with JJ for the most part. Um, I felt like whenever the Steelers, you know, signed him, uh, that he became an uh, immediately overrated dynasty commodity, and, and I dumped him where I owned him uh, for a nice profit. Uh, he wasn't somebody I would be targeting in redraft for this year, even if he does, even if none of these things end up being true, and he comes back tomorrow for whatever. Doesn't sound like that's probably going to happen. But what's interesting to me is is sort of unfantasy related. The Steelers, I mean, I'm 43 years old, and in my lifetime have not had a tight end of this kind of profile. You know, mm-hmm. a fast guy that can run down the middle of the field, go up and get the football. Heath Miller's gone. Matt Spath is a pure blocker type. He's gone. Even Jesse James, he's lost weight, and he's moving a lot better now than when I saw him a year ago. So, And the last guy that's probably going to make the roster is Xavier Grimble, mm-hmm. who they're really high on, former basketball player at USC, um, so they're much different types. You know, the Steelers are, you could say they're catching up with the NFL and making it a pure receiving position. And I think one of the allure, alluring things about when why they wanted to sign Green was they knew that Bryant was, wasn't going to be around, and I, they've loved Coates for some time, but Wheaton and Brown certainly aren't anywhere close to Martavis Bryant's body type, you know, where Green sort of is. You know, it's another long, tall field stretcher, as JJ said, red zone guy, go up and get the football as opposed to those shorter receivers, and it doesn't look like they're going to have that now. You know, I mean, this offense, as good as it's been, could you imagine if they could ever have everybody healthy? I mean, like Brown, Bell, Bryant, and Ben played like five snaps or something together last year. It's crazy. You know, Pouncey was out the whole year. Injuries happen, but everything everything that's happening with Pittsburgh offense lately is bad news. Yeah, it certainly puts them in a tough spot. As far as, J.J., what you were saying, I think you're spot on with the green stuff. In the dynasty community, he's always been one of those guys that was maybe being overprojected. You know, he was behind Gates, and everybody just, and myself included, just thought, okay, Gates is going to hang it up soon, and Green's going to get all of that. So he's been a guy that's probably been overrated in dynasty circles for years now, and going to Pittsburgh only only enhance that and so that makes this even a bigger blow but let's let's move off of the the Steelers talk the Ladarius Green talk and let's get into some late round quarterback strategy so JJ the first thing I want to know is simply even as a redraft strategy where did this come from how did this originate and what inspired you to to write a whole book about it yeah, so you know, it's just I've been playing fantasy for for years now, uh, and and you know, I I just naturally had always drafted my quarterbacks late because I thought it was a fairly obvious thing to do, uh, just given the the basic supply and demand of of positions in fantasy football, where you're starting one quarterback, you're starting two running backs, perhaps three wide receivers, and maybe even a flex. So it obviously dictates the fact that you need more running backs, you need more wide receivers, which then boost those players ADPs uh, dramatically. So, you know, it was really after that 2011, or during the 2011 and after the 2011 uh, season, where I sat there and I started seeing touts talk about drafting quarterbacks uh, early just because of, of that season being one where we saw, like, you know, four guys pass for 4,900-plus for yards, and we saw those just, just insane record-breaking seasons from multiple quarterbacks. 
Uh, but what really was going on was that it wasn't just a shift with the elite quarterbacks. It was a shift with the really bad quarterbacks as well. I mean, Mark Sanchez put up a career year that re- Mark Sanchez was a QB 10 that year. Uh, there, there, were, there were bad, poorly performing quarterbacks who were putting up good numbers. And, you know, I've looked back at that season and I've thought, you know, what was it exactly as to why that shift happened or why those numbers were so inflated? I think a lot of it had to do with it being a near lockout and with, with defenses not being prepped and, and, and ready for these, for these offenses to do what they did. Um, but even, even still, I mean, we've seen a shift just in general from that season where more and more teams are throwing the ball. But at the same time, with more and more teams throwing the ball, all that means is that more and more quarterbacks are getting 25, 30-plus attempts per game every single week. Uh, so really what it comes down to is just the, the basic supply and demand of the positions in fantasy and the fact that I, could see, you know, I saw that these, these lower-end quarterbacks were producing way better than they had in the past as well. It wasn't just the elite guys, and I didn't want to have tunnel vision with those elite guys, so then I ended up uh, publishing the book. So I guess I'm thinking back to the first year I started collecting the Dynasty ADP for DLF, and I think that was the offseason after the 2012 season. Mm. I think of that as like the Colin Kaepernick playoffs. I don't know if you guys remember that, but just these, you know, he looked like a gazelle playing against the Packers and, and doing whatever he wanted. I mean, he got a big boost that offseason. Manning and Brady, Breeze, those guys were still uh, obviously at the top top of their game, even in Dynasty. And Stafford was up there. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think there were five or six quarterbacks in probably in the top 30 of that ADP that year in Dynasty, mm-hmm. which you know just looks foolish at this point. Yeah, based, really. Wow. Based on what you're saying. Yeah, and even in redraft, that you had you had five guys. That was the the year after Stafford. You know, Stafford was no longer injury prone, and and he he ended up he ended up going berserk that year. And that's when the next season he was a second round pick, and Cam was a second round pick. And then you know I think it it certainly helped the the late round quarterback philosophy and way of life, fantasy football life. Considering the 2012 uh, quarterback class came in, and you get. Russell Wilson and Andrew Luck and even RG3 that year. So it certainly boosted the floor of, of quarterbacks, which which definitely helped. But at the same time, there were some, some bad quarterbacks that were still performing well. Ryan, quick question for you, though. Like, when you talked about all those guys going in the top, what, three rounds of startups, was it the wrong decision to take them then, or was it justified because there was such a gap between the studs and the duds? I don't think there was a gap, honestly. I think it was, I mean, looking back, you know, hindsight 2020, I, right. I think it was just a case of we had just seen these guys, uh, you know, several of them perform at a very high level in the playoffs. Like I said, Kaepernick is the one that sticks in my mind, but Stafford had had the big year, uh, like J.J. said, and, and several others. And I think, you know, I think we were just chasing points, basically. But but you still had Eli and you still had Rivers and you had guys like that who were putting up starter points Maybe not on a weekly basis, but at least consistent enough to make it a good idea to wait on those guys rather than, than grab a quarterback in the first three rounds. But you would say there was fewer of them than there are now. You know, the Tyrod Taylors and Andy Daltons, and, and there's 25 guys you can live with now. Oh, yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, like like J.J. said, I think that's what that's one thing that has led to the popularity of this strategy in general. Yeah, makes sense. So any type of strategy in, in fantasy football comes and goes. It changes. It evolves over over the years. Of course, it used to be very running back heavy, gone completely opposite now with late-round running back or zero running back, I guess. 
as we talked about last week. But you've written that late-round quarterback is viable every year. In fact, every single year is, is what the article says. So just explain why this strategy is evergreen and, and sticks around no matter what year it is or which quarterbacks we're talking about. Yeah, I think that there's two big keys uh, with regards to it. It's it's the again the supply and demand of of the position where you're you're only starting one quarterback and you know if you're in a 12 team league there's only 12 quarterbacks being started each week. You know obviously if you're in a dynasty league uh, the the waiver wire isn't plentiful with these starting quarterbacks, but if you're in a redraft league it, it most certainly is because there's 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 quarterbacks everywhere. Um, and, and the other side of this though is predictability. And it, you know if you think about it logically. Uh, quarterbacks have the most opportunity in a given game, which is why we talk about quarterbacks so much in real in, in the real NFL talk, is because they can they control so much of the outcome of the game. Uh, whereas with a running back, you know you're hopeful to get 15 touches from your running back in a game, and with the wide receiver, he's dependent on the quarterback, and you need him to be targeted. And then tight ends aren't even on the field as much as you see uh, uh, wide receivers on the field, and they need to they they rely on the quarterback targeting them. So Essentially, from a from a predictability standpoint, and there's math and such behind this as well. Uh, you know, tight ends are the least predictable, then wide receivers, then running backs, and then quarterbacks. And what I mean by predictability is how confident you feel in going into a certain week in playing these particular players. So if quarterbacks are so predictable, and you know who these quarterbacks are starting for a particular team each week, whereas you don't have that kind of information necessarily for a number two wide receiver and how involved he's going to be, or a or a backup running back, or a third down back, or something like that, and how game script is going to go. It's not as it's not as easy to kind of dissect that information. Um, really, you have so much information at the quarterback position that you're able to really exploit it, and you're you're able to uh, you know you, you take those quarterbacks late, and because you're only starting one, you know that there are going to be guys out there who sure they might be uncomfortable to use, they might not be very good, they might be Geno Smith esque where you don't feel great. Uh, using them, but at the same time, there's a lot of variables that can point to one guy having one week of a good performance, and it happens all the time. I mean, every year over the last five years, we've seen 40-plus quarterbacks finished with at least one top 12 performance in fantasy football, and that's at least 40. I mean, that's that's eight more than there are teams in the NFL, so you're talking backup quarterbacks are not only coming in and playing, but they're coming in and performing at a pretty high level. Uh, and, and it's a it's a consistent thing that we're seeing year to year. Uh, and even if even if we start to see you know back to the 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 2011 year where there were you know the, that group of five quarterbacks that really separated themselves from the pack. At the end of the day, uh, those kind of seasons have been uh, anomalies if you look at history. So that's really why at the end of the day the the the, the strategy is is generally here to stay. JJ, I, I think you know that I don't believe in this, but I'm just playing devil's advocate. But there. <laughs> There is that theory out there that at the end of the first round or early second round in a dynasty startup, I should take Cam Newton or Andrew Luck, and the reasoning is because I'm going to start them for 16 weeks every year for the next 16 years, and I never have to worry about it, and I can dedicate all my other life energies to adding running backs, tight ends, and wide receivers. There, there is that philosophy out there with dynasty. Yeah, there certainly is, and I actually think that because of that, it's easier to exploit this idea in a dynasty league than it is in a redraft league. Uh, you know, the, the thing that, that drives me insane most is that you, people view these, these elite quarterbacks as, as guys who cannot do any wrong, can, can do no wrong. You throw them out in your lineup, and they, they produce elite weeks each and every week. It's just not the case. I mean, 
you could use a very simple example of, of the podcast that I do on Living the Stream with, with Denny Carter, where each week we give quarterback recommendations that are on the waiver wire. And not to say that these guys would be on the waiver wire in a dynasty league, but the, our Frankenstein quarterback over the last two years, so guys that we've just been grabbing off the waiver wire and tracking, both years that he's been a QB6. Uh, so basically, instead of thinking, though, as, as a waiver wire from a dynasty standpoint, you think of a platoon approach. I mean, you get guys that are veterans, you get guys that are, that are low cost, but you know are going to produce in a given year. I mean, Tony Romo is a great example, uh, you know, guys that just have uh, high floors that, that are fairly predictable in, in plus matchups, what, depending on, say, like, what, what Vegas says. Vegas is usually a good indicator as to how these guys perform. So I, I think that there's just an overrating of this idea that a guy like Aaron Rodgers or Andrew Luck will produce for you not only every year but every week. When we see each and every year the, the quarterback position turn over, uh, you know, not, not to say that Aaron Rodgers is bad. Aaron Rodgers is arguably the greatest quarterback to ever play. Not to say that Andrew Luck is bad. Uh, it's just that we saw even last season that these guys not only can, can perform poorly, like we saw with, with both of them, I guess, uh, but they can get hurt as well. So I just think that there's just this, this false uh, narrative with, with safety and consistency from those guys and those elite players at the position. Hey, Ryan, do you know what else is really good philosophy and, and thing to do? You go to lootcrate.com slash dynastyblueprint, and you enter the code dynastyblueprint, and you save quite a bit off of less than $20 a month subscription to begin with, for all you geeks out there, it's the best deal in town. You know, with Loot Crate, you get collectibles, apparel, and more for your favorite pop culture franchises delivered right to your door every single month. We're talking about a new t-shirt in every crate, figures, comics, stuff for your kitchen, a wide range of exclusive items you can't get anywhere else from fan-favorite franchises like Marvel Comics, Harry Potter, Star Wars. It can't beat it, man. It's a great deal. JJ, let's transition over to late-round quarterbacks, specifically in dynasty leagues. And you've alluded to this a little bit. But basically, have you tried this strategy, and, and was it successful? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it's a situation where, again, it's, it's instead of thinking late-round quarterback, worst-case scenario, I'm streaming, it's late-round quarterback, worst-case scenario, I have another two quarterbacks that are mid-tier to lower tier that I know are still starting for their respective teams are still going to have some sort of predictable aspect to them because their teams are throwing the ball 30-plus times a game, and then I can just play by matchup. I think, you know, I think that in an ideal world, you want to win at every position, right? You want to you have the best quarterbacks, you want to have the best running backs, but at the end of the day, you don't necessarily need that to win championships in fantasy football. Uh, you, need to be a, you need to have a strong team. You need to have players that'll, that'll win you at, run, at running back and wide receiver, you can take a slight hit at quarterback. And like I said, uh, you know, with with us streaming those the, the QB six, it, it just shows not that the waiver, not just that the waiver wire is plentiful in a redraft league, but it shows the insane predictability at the quarterback position, and that should give you some confidence in drafting a platoon of three or four guys, depending on how deep your bench is, uh, and, and using those players to formulate. This QB one that can get close. Not, you know, I'm not even saying that you go and you try to match what a what what one of the high end quarterbacks is doing in a given year. Because, look, at the end of the year, there's always one or two quarterbacks that really are giving you an insane edge. Whether it's Cam Newton last year, or even Tom Brady the first half of last year, or Andrew Luck the year before that, those players are definitely giving you a crazy edge at the quarterback position. But you have to not only have that player and nail who that player is. Those players aren't doing it each and every year because in order to get to that point, in order to be that super elite quarterback, 
you need to have some sort of outlier of a season in the first place. Whether it's Cam Newton last season with with the the high touchdown rate combined with uh, the double digit touchdowns on the ground. Whether it's you know usually it is touchdown rate as as the reason why these guys you know Peyton Manning's record breaker breaking year he had a 9.9 percent uh, touchdown rate. I mean it's just it's just out of control and those things regress at the end of the day. And to do that two years in a row is very difficult to do. So. The, the biggest advantage that you're getting from these elite quarterbacks are, are when they do produce those those true QB1 numbers. But other than that, it's pretty easy to match uh, you know, a QB6-ish if you have a decent platoon. So that's how it's a lot different than like a Rob Gronkowski situation, where exactly. clearly he's number one in the tight end world, and then everybody's fighting for the second spot. Yep, exactly. And then, and then you know, to, to the predictability point... Um, you know, it's difficult to stream tight ends or to platoon tight ends and predict how they're going to play because, you know, tight, end, tight ends, it's not just matchup dependent. It's, not just, it's, it's just more difficult to see how these guys are going to perform because it's the least predictable of the four positions. So, JJ, in a, in a dynasty league, let's say you've built just a powerhouse team, definite contender every year, um, and you're loaded at the other three positions. Um, is there a point where you would make a trade for one of those top-end quarterbacks just for that added production or, or maybe that added consistency? Or would you stick with this strategy even in that case? Yeah, I think, I think what you would what, – I mean, what I've done and, and what I would advise to do is to look at the high-performing quarterbacks in that season and find guys who might not have a, a longevity outlook and have a, an outlook of, you know, next five years being these, this dominant force, whether it's – looking at what Ryan Fitzpatrick did last year and targeting a guy like that to get some sort of solid QB1 production if you're not feeling good about what's going on at your quarterback spot because obviously you know you could be you could be putting up low end QB1 numbers and still be performing at a, at a high level and if you're not but you know if you're putting QB5 QB6 numbers up with a platoon approach then obviously you know you don't necessarily need to be seeking out uh, one of those higher end quarterbacks because you know that that's still generally decent enough production to get by so you know, I, I look instead of going after guys who, because generally speaking, the guys who are performing at those high levels are going to be highly sought after. Uh, maybe not as much the the Tom Brady types anymore, just because of age. But you know, like a Cam Newton last year, it's gonna it's gonna cost you an arm and a leg to get that kind of guy, especially midseason, to to make a playoff push. So instead, I'm gonna try to look within the realm of what's going on in that particular season. Go for it in that season. Maybe have a two year outlook at most. Uh, and try to get as big of a discount as I can because at the end of the day, the quarterback position just doesn't matter as much as I think a lot of people think. JJ, what are your thoughts on Bortles, Carr, Mariota, Winston? You know, like in the real world, I look at those four and think that's the next generation of great quarterback in this league. I believe in all four of them, much more than like a Bridgewater. Um, if you were to inherit a team with one of them, are you shopping them right away? Um, do, you, do you think the price tag for one of those guys is way out of reach at this point? I'm just curious what you think of that crew and like that that variety. Yeah, I mean, I think given ADP, I think you know, you you, I would certainly field offers almost instantly. Uh, yeah. I would try, I would try to target guys that have more of a one or two year lifespan and just kind of roll with that cycle of players. And and, and obviously, once a guy like Tony Romo retires, I have some sort of backup plan. Or if a guy like Jay Cutler, who might have three or four more years left, once he's once he's done, so that's you know hopefully I can plan a year or two in advance and kind of foresee something like that happening. But it's really going with uh, you know I'll go I'll go youth at, at running back and wide receiver, of course, 
Sure. But when it comes when it comes to the quarterback position, I'm not I'm not there to to wait for them. I'm I'm there, you know, I, I I'm there to get the veterans that I know can produce. And, and at the end of the day, a guy like uh, Jameis Winston or Mariota, in, in a one-year sample, you know, you might have them the year that they break out and become that elite quarterback that I was talking about. But realistically, there's a high probability that you're going to match their production with some veterans. So that's really the reason uh, that I would that I would target more of the veteran guys, just because. Look, I, I think that that they're just massively, massively undervalued by the dynasty community and in leagues that I that I play in. Uh, so that's that's generally the reason that I just target the the Romos and the even the Cutlers. Uh, you know, Cutlers Cutlers lower just because people hate them. But uh, you know, the the older guys, the Alex Smiths of the world that will still produce in fantasy. They, they still produce in fantasy football. They're just not as sexy to own. So if I'm offering you Romo or Cutler or Tyrod Taylor and a 17-second, you'll give me Mariota or Winston. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I don't yeah. blame you. Yeah. And I think one thing that's happened in, in the dynasty community is that there's been, you know, this other strategy of going youth-heavy, as you mentioned, J.J., has become so prevalent and, and people have become scared of players over the age of 30. Mm -hmm. And if it's a running back, maybe that makes sense. If it's a wide receiver, if it's most wide receivers, that probably makes sense as well. But it's almost like we've just transitioned that over to quarterbacks where that's not the case. I mean, you know, quarterbacks are so in demand in the NFL that if, if you find one that's a good one, even at the level of Jay Cutler who has his, you know, he certainly has his issues, they're not letting those guys go. Uh, you know, teams are teams are going to keep those guys. They're going to mm -hmm. keep rolling them out until they just can't anymore. So selling a quarterback, you know, an age 30 quarterback uh, because he's getting too old, it's, you know, yeah. it doesn't seem like the best idea. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, teams love QB purgatory. They love it because we see it all the time, right? Like, they're, they're not moving on from players that are that have been mediocre that they know that they're not going to win championships with. And it... And it Part of it is because of, of them having egos and front offices having egos and wanting to save their job because they can't admit that they're wrong or else they will lose their job. Part of it is because of contract issues and them not being able to get rid of these guys and, and, and quarterback contracts uh, right now just being being absurd when it comes to, to, to young players. But that's just what teams have to do. But what, you, what you're seeing then is teams are just locked into these guys. And then if you have a one-off good year like an Andy Dalton had last year where who knows who, who knows how he, he enters 2016 and whether he can uh, perform at the same level that he did last year. When you have those one-off good years, all that does is just extend your life with that team. Uh, and so at the end of the day, for, for dynasty owners, that just means that you're going to be able to have those mid-tier quarterbacks in your team for even longer, and that's a great thing if you're going with more of a platoon approach. So going back to that, that youth-heavy strategy that I mentioned, one, I guess, downfall of that is that it seems like everybody's doing it now. Uh, everybody, when they're building a dynasty team and a startup draft, almost everybody wants those young players and, and the older veterans are, are falling down the board. Do you think the same, this late-round quarterback approach, when everybody does that, is, you know, is there any you know, zig when they zag mm -hmm. idea, or is are there enough quarterbacks that everybody can do that and, and it just, you know, creates some added value? But yeah. it's too much enough and you're like, 
Damn, I'm, gonna, I'm taking Cam Newton. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like I always, I always tell people, like when even in redraft, right? When you're when you're drafting your team, it's not a game of chicken. Like I'm not saying, hey, look, you know, draft your quarterback as late as po- as possible. Wait until everyone has two quarterbacks, and just it's it's all based on a game of value. It's that when you're drafting your quarterbacks early, what you're actually doing is foregoing the opportunity of drafting a stud running back or a stud wide receiver. It's just a giant opportunity cost equation. So eventually, if everyone were to start drafting quarterbacks late, you know, if, 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 if the first quarterback leaves the board in a redraft league in the eighth round, then that's when I'm sitting there and I'm like, well, I can't take this, I can't take Vincent Jackson over, over Cam Newton because it doesn't make any sense, so it's not logical. But I think right now, especially with Dynasty, I mean, generally speaking, that has to be a perfect scenario, right, where everyone is going in that direction. But I think right now in Dynasty and in, in redraft, the, the position is deep enough that we don't have to worry about that, that you're still getting value by, by, by getting these cheaper guys, by waiting, waiting for the quarterback position. I think once, if, if you can have the foresight to see, you know, hey, we're about to approach a season that's, that might be similar to that 2011 one where there really were outliers and where there really were five guys that far outperformed the rest of the position, which gave them an edge then sure, then that, that's, when, that's when you're an amazing dynasty owner and you can make deals in order to, to change things up. But generally speaking, I don't, I don't see that happening anytime soon, just given the way the NFL has gone. I mean, every year there's more passing attempts. Every year we're seeing, more, we're seeing offenses adapt to, to more West, West Coast style, which is only going to, to increase the chances that teams are throwing the ball more because they're, they're lower or higher percentage throws. I mean, all that says is that Bad quarterbacks are going to continue to be good in fantasy football, and that just that just makes me feel like you know we're, we're never going to have to worry about a scenario like that, at least in the near future. Obviously, you you have to feel much differently though in superflex and two type two quarterback leagues, right? Correct. Yeah, I mean it's it's a different beast, but at the same yeah. time, you know, I I think as long as you have the same you know, as long as you don't have tunnel vision when it comes to those drafts and you're you're just taking them because you know that the, the demand is now higher for those positions, obviously you're starting two, essentially. Uh, so the demand is higher, so people are going to be drafting them earlier. I think at the end of the day, still, with, with Superflex and two QB leagues, you have to take the idea of predictability and really, really use that to your advantage. And I'm not saying that, uh, you know, you don't go after a, a higher-end quarterback, at least in your QB1 spot, but maybe go after a low-end QB1 with your QB1 spot and then use that second quarterback spot, spot with those really mediocre guys that you can then platoon rather than using this, this, these high-equity picks or, or a lot of uh, future picks on getting uh, a couple of those elite guys just to kind of buoy your team because at the end of the day, you're still uh, going, to be, going to have some, some leakage at the running back and wide receiver position. So it sounds like in that explanation, the basis of your argument against taking quarterbacks early is similar to your Ezekiel Elliott take that, you know, it's, it's not that he's a bad player. Mm -hmm. It's just that it was bad value at that spot. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, that's the thing, you know, with Zeke, you know, it's, it's uh, passing is so far more efficient than rushing that when the Cowboys make a pick like that, it's far less about, Hey, Ezekiel Elliott's going to suck in Dallas. I mean, it's almost impossible for Ezekiel Elliott to be bad in Dallas. Uh, the real argument is that you're you're using a pick on a on a position that doesn't really matter, which is the same thing at the quarterback position. It doesn't really matter because there's so many of them at the end of the day, uh, and you're using this pick on a on a on a player that sure is talented, maybe like an Aaron Rodgers in fantasy football, but 
to the game itself, it just doesn't matter that much. All right, let's get into some specific quarterbacks. I know you talked about some of the young guys earlier. Uh, in a recent article, or in a couple of recent articles, you pegged Big Ben as your uh, overrated player and Tyrod Taylor as underrated. Do those same labels translate over to dynasty leagues? Yeah, I mean, I think I think Ben in general. I mean, sure, he's got he's got a few more years left in him, but uh, I think that there's this idea that he is this elite passer. And when I, I go back to the to the comment about you know a quarterback needing to essentially be a QB one or QB two to really really give you that edge at the position, Ben Roethlisberger, his production over the last two years has equated to what our streamer has been. Uh, and without Martavis Bryant too, his his points per game averages are pretty atrocious. Not atrocious, but they're not, you know, they're very average. Um, and so that's really the, the, the reasoning with Ben is that his, I, I just don't see his ceiling being as high as I think consensus does. Uh, and a guy like Tyrod Taylor, I think it's, you know, in, in Dynasty it's certainly a little bit different because his, his, his ADP is higher than a guy like Phillip Rivers and, and Eli Manning who uh, he goes after in a redraft league. But with Tyrod Taylor, you know, you're, you have to buy in. You know, I think that you have to go with the same approach in Dynasty where you're buying into this ambiguous upside where you're buying into this, you know, if he pans out, that's amazing because I can get long, uh, long-lasting long upside with, with my quarterback position. If he doesn't pan out, you know, I would hope that I would have some sort of contingency plan with some of those lower-tiered players. Um, but I think that, that in general, I would much rather have a guy like Tyrod in Dynasty than a Ben Roethlisberger for sure. And, then, and the ADP discrepancy is, is, is a decent size between the two. So Tyrod's Dynasty ADP as of August, which uh, that date is brand new. It'll be up on the DLF site very soon. Uh, his August ADP was 149. So other than him, uh, assuming he might be one of your targets in a new Dynasty League, other than Tyrod, who are some other players that at their value you would consider drafting them? Yeah, so like I said, I'm going to have a one- to two-year type outlook on these players. Uh, so I would I would target guys that I talked about earlier, like a Tony Romo or a, a Jay Cutler, both going past 200 in ADP, or even even to a, to a degree, a Ryan Fitzpatrick. Uh, I, you know, just taking a stab at him in a platoon for at least this year. And then while you're going throughout the season, think about what you can do next season at the quarterback position and try to target guys who are just uninspiring. Maybe, you know, Matt Ryan, if, if Matt Ryan has another mediocre year and his ADP drops, uh, try to target a guy like that. Uh, but, you know, so it's, it's Tony Romo, it's a Jay Cutler type, Fitzpatrick, and then the always undervalued in fantasy football, Alex Smith. Uh, just, just always, you know, like, look, he's, he's not inspiring. He's, he's not going to chuck the ball down. He's not going to win you games with these deep bombs, but he's got... He's got legs under him. I mean, he still he still runs the ball for 300 plus yards a year, which which certainly helps. Uh, and in a platoon, it's not a bad thing to have that kind of floor. And and that's that's really why I would I would still be looking uh, if I'm, I'm drafting three guys. Let's say I would still be looking at a guy like Alex Smith. I'm not an Alex Smith believer in the real world, but the running is key, and he plays every right. game. And Andy Reid knows how to manufacture offense. And mm -hmm. I thought your point about Matt Ryan was great too. Like target the guy, the boring guy. You know mm -hmm. that if Matt Ryan is quarterback twelve this year, all of a sudden no one's going to want him. They'll be dumping him for nothing. You know he is who he is. He's boring. I don't want that guy as my quarterback. Well, yeah. take him. Yeah, there, it's not it's not a sexy approach by any means because I think right. a lot of a lot of people want. Look, a lot of people want, especially Dynasty, because you're, you're inheriting this team every single year, they want this to be real football. 
and the instant that you realize that it's it doesn't have to be real football. And I I was on you know I was on this uh, the the Fantasyland podcast because they just did a late round QB episode, and one of one of the analogies I used was. Fantasy football is like real football, just like risk. The game risk is like world domination, where it's not as if this is – you're not actually do- – that's not how you dominate the world when you're playing a game of risk. <laughs> it's just that this is, this is a way for us to, to use these, you know, and to, to, to analyze the game and to have fun with the game, just as we would be having fun with taking over the world in risk. Uh, and I think, I think that's really key, the instant that you can kind of flip that switch and realize, you know what – I'm not, you know, I'm GMing my fantasy team, but I'm not necessarily GMing my real team because there's a lot more to it than what we do in fantasy football. And I think there are certainly ways to exploit that. And that the quarter, I think the quarterback position is one of the key ways, just because of the name, the, the, the name brands that are associated with these guys. I think that's 100% true, and that's a mistake that people make in fantasy all the time, myself included. And I think it gets even doubled in dynasty. Is I want to find these guys and develop them, and I want Mariota, and I, you know they're going to be have these super high ceilings. But in the end, if Alex Smith gets me the the chicklets at the end of the party, and I, I get a check in the mail, you know, a, a month after the season, that feels pretty good too. So JJ, before we wrap it up today, you know these guys are late round quarterbacks for a reason. Are there any of these guys going, you know, in the 150 and, and higher range in our dynasty ADP that you would not consider drafting? Guys that you would just avoid in general? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a big like Tannehill guy uh, who's at the 150 mark. Um, you know, I think as much as I, I'm not, I'm, I'm really not a big Derek Carr guy. I'm actually not a big fan of that class in general. Like, I, I know that that that's kind of the wave uh, of of, of future quarterbacks, uh, but the reasoning is really because of, of a study I did where I looked at first-year quarterbacks, first and second-year quarterbacks, but started with, with rookie quarterbacks, and I found that there's an incredible correlation between their performance with uh, this, this uh, advanced metric we use at NumberFire called net expected points with their performance year one and year two. You can look at year two as well, and how they perform the rest of their careers. There's this insane correlation, and when you sit back and you think about it, it, it makes sense. I mean, guys who are good at the NFL level today, I mean, you look at Aaron Rodgers, you look at Russell Wilson, Andrew Luck, Cam Newton, uh, Drew Brees is an outlier, and he's, he's the, actually the biggest outlier in the study. Uh, but even, uh, you know, Tom Brady when he took over, uh, uh, Philip Rivers, I mean, there's all these guys where they're so good now, and they had such amazing careers, and it started from the beginning. It started right away. Very rarely do these quarterbacks get unbelievable after uh, after year two, uh, usually something big has to change, like Drew Brees changing teams. Uh, so you know, Derek Carr and Blake Bortles are both guys that are kind of on the fringe. Where sure they improved, they actually saw uh, Blake Bortles specifically saw the biggest jump in our metrics from year one to year two that our database has. Our database goes back from to the year 2000. So that's certainly a positive thing. And Blake Bortles might end up being an outlier of sorts. But I think we even saw with Derek Carr last year. I know Amari Cooper got hurt, but there was some regression. Uh, he had some some touchdown luck at the beginning of the year. I'm a little bit worried. I, Raiders fans hate me for it because I, I question their their future of their franchise. Uh, but you know he, he's just a guy that I, I'm not super super enthusiastic about. Hey Ryan, looking at this list, there's one name that just jumps off the page for me that I would never touch at this ADP. Can either one of you guys justify Kirk Cousins being the 11th quarterback off the board in startups? That makes no sense to me. No. 
I mean, I know, you know, I, I believe at least JJ and, and others have pegged him as a late round quarterback option, you know, again this season. But as the quarterback 11, no, I don't see it. I think that's another, just another case of chasing those points that we saw last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do like him. I do like him as a pure upside play in a redraft league where it's a lot easier to correct a mistake. So, you know, you, like you're just getting a guy that you won't, you won't feel bad about dumping on the waiver wire, but you're investing more in Dynasty if you're drafting him there. So I think that's, that's the main reason why I would just completely stay away from that kind of ADP. I mean, like, of all the top 20, 25 guys on here, he's the one that I look at and say, I can't promise that he's going to be an NFL starting quarterback a year from now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If he starts turning the ball over like he did the majority of his life, he's going to be on the bench. JJ, I got one more question for you. I got an email about an hour ago saying how much you really love and absolutely have to have Kelvin Benjamin on your redraft team this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, certainly not into Kelvin this year. I, <laughs> I, you know, he's, he's being drafted at wide receiver 16, and, I mean, I can give you the spiel real quick. When he, when, when 2014, when he had his big year, we all know that they had no, they had no weapons with him. They had Jason Avant and Jericho Cotri. Uh, as bad as Ted Ginn is, it's, it's, you can make a strong argument that Ted Ginn's better than both of them, let alone Devin Funches, right? So he's, it's going to be hard for, for uh, Benjamin to continue to see over a 25% market share in that offense. But not only that, in 2014, the Panthers threw the ball more than they had in every season since 2001. So not only is his market share going to be lower, but the Panthers more than likely aren't going to throw They're going to throw the ball maybe 50 fewer times. So his volume's just not going to be there for a guy who was sixth in the league in targets and finished 16th at the wide receiver position uh, his rookie season. I mean, he's being drafted at wide receiver 16. I see him more in, in redraft as more of a wide receiver 25-ish. So it's it's a it's a you know third to fifth round. That's a fairly significant difference. I'm not even convinced that he's particularly good at football. Yeah, me either. Not at all. I, I think I think we could. I mean, realistically, Funches could be the guy at the end of next year where, yeah. that we look back at, and Kelvin Benjamin's there too. I mean, I traded Benjamin for Funches, a future second, and some other young player I liked, and Twitter called me the biggest moron of all time. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sold on Kelvin at all. So, are you sold on Funches, or do you just like him, uh, kind of by default there? Yeah, I think it's more by default. I, I think Funches fits the profile a lot better. Uh, and and what we saw out of that, I mean, there was just there was just a lot of. I mean, it, there were a, a, a lot of, of horrible plays by Benjamin his rookie year, and I think we all brushed them off as him being a rookie. Uh, but at the same time, he's also an old rookie when he came in. Uh, now he got hurt. Now he's a year older. Uh, I just, I, I don't, I don't get. I, I think that that what we saw from Benjamin his rookie year is like what Benjamin is. I don't see that growth from him. So I think just by default, uh, Funchess is would would be the guy, that, just especially given price, that I would just gravitate towards more. It's not to say though that I'm incredibly high on Funches. I remember a, a tweet after Benjamin's rookie year. I think it was our buddy Carl Safchik who basically said, you know, preseason, whether you are a Benjamin fan or not, you probably expected him to produce uh, just given the situation there. But the, you know, the reasoning was, yeah, he'll produce because that's all there is. But, you know, in Dynasty, he's he's older. He They're going to add more weapons. Yet following the season when he did produce, now he's, you know, he's a guy that, dynasty owners are chasing. So um, Carl had some good perspective on that one. I think that that made a lot of sense, and that was absolutely true, you know, that, yeah, he's going to produce, but so what? Yet six months later, we're we're chasing after him, and he has a second-round ADP. 
Ryan, before we go, I wanted to bring this up last week, and I just want to get your guys' opinion on it real quick. I got offered a deal in Hyperactive 4. It came to my inbox. I hit accept immediately, and it generally goes against you know my our thoughts. Is I love Sammy Watkins, but I was offered Moncrief, Floyd, and Perryman for Watkins. I hit accept, boom. And I got mixed feelings on Twitter about that. I thought that was an easy accept. I'm, I'm, a, I'm kind of a Moncrief truther, so I'm okay with it. Yeah. I like yeah. Floyd. I'm okay. Yeah, with I mean, I think Floyd's the best the, the best guy in Arizona, too. I mean, I, I think that's that's a, a potential home run for you, too. Yeah, I do, too. Yeah, I agree. I mean, obviously, none of those guys are at, at Sammy's mm-hmm. dynasty value yet, but Moncrief is getting closer, you know, every month, and you know, I think the other the other two guys are well worth the chance. So I like that a lot for you, actually. Yeah. Very good. Well, thanks, JJ. This was awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, JJ. I hope everyone is already following you on Twitter at Late Round QB. And and other than Twitter, tell us where we can find your work. Yeah, uh, all the stuff that I do is over at numberfire.com. Uh, you can check it out. We just did a, a cool redesign, so it's hopefully easier to even find content. Uh, so yeah, numberfire.com. All right. Thanks again, JJ. Appreciate it, guys.